Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing to look at the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 today. We, uh, we, we may not get ter- terribly far <laughs> along the way, but we'll see. Um, because we've got to deal with an, an odd verse. It's, it's one of the most familiar verses in the entire Bible, but at the same time, it's odd. <laughs> uh, and here's why. He says, Jesus says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So you got that right, comma. For this is the law and the prophets. Well, that's a little strange, to say the least, to say that this is the law and the prophets. Um, and it doesn't seem to follow quite as closely on what happened before that. Remember, everyone asks who receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then, so we go from that to, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. I said it's one of the most familiar passages in the entire Bible, at least the first part of it is, the golden rule part of it. But then Jesus links it to the law and the prophets, and that's a little strange. Because Jesus has already talked about the law and the prophets once. Um, he said that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And then in the, um, at the time of the transfiguration, he's going to meet with Moses and Elijah, who represent, well, the law and the prophets. And then, but there's another question that's asked of him at a later time. Um, it, this is Matthew 22. Um, so we're going to get to this. A little later, but the Pharisees came and asked Jesus. One of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him, and this would have been a typical kind of question asked of the rabbis at that day. They were they were really fond of boiling things down into as as simple a formula as possible, and, and so they said, "Teacher, what's the great commandment in the law?" And he said to him, uh, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, and they have to. I mean, what is the single most important uh, affirmation in Judaism? Goes back to Deuteronomy six, where the Lord your God is one. So that's the most important thing, and then that that's the thing that Judaism brings into the world first." is the knowledge that God is one. And then they're told to love him with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so when Jesus here says that, he, he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So it seems a little odd that here he says that the law and the prophets are summed up in do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, but it, I don't think it's that difficult to understand, because what I want to do is I want to go to Galatians 5. So this is Paul's letter to the Galatians, and, and the, the main issue in, in Galatia is that that's where the party of the circumcision was coming, and they kept telling the converts that Paul had made that they needed to get circumcised. And so Paul <coughs> says, no. He says, if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In this case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
And so I think what Paul's saying there is, is that it, it, it helps us here, is if you, if you do that one thing, then you have fulfilled the law as it relates to your neighbor. And, and I think that's the way to read this properly, is, is that Jesus is, is saying that with respect to your neighbor, th- then it can be easily summed up in whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So I, I think that that's the best way to read this, because he's clearly uh, already said over and over and over again here, just in the Sermon on the Mount, that the important thing is seeking the kingdom of heaven, seeking the kingdom of God, asking for good things from the Father, and you'll receive those things. And then from there, then, it follows whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, as your Father would do. And and it's an important the golden rule is something that, that sort of transcends and cuts across all kinds of religious boundaries. I, I, nobody would have any argument with that statement at all. There, there's not a single religion on earth that would say that's, that's not kind of the best way to live life, is that whatever you would like others to do to you, do to them. Now, it's interesting, around the same time, remember I've told you there were two great rabbinic schools at the time of Jesus, and that was Hillel and Shammai. Right, so Hillel um, that sort of states this same thing in a different way. I'm going to I'm going to tell you how it states it, and then we'll talk about the difference between what Jesus said and what um, the, what the um, what, what Hillel says. So <laughs> there was a guy who was thinking about converting, and he comes to Hillel and he asks a simple question, and and that is, can you explain to me the entire Torah? while you stand on one foot. So Shammai dismissed the man as foolishness. Hillel told the man, what's hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That's the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation. Go and learn. So it, it's, it's an interesting thing. It, it, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your fellow as you love yourself. Now, so Hillel's response, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. So that and the whole Torah um, would be, would then be all right. Now you got to go learn all this stuff. Well, the the prophets. So the Torah is just the first five books, by the way. So everything after that, most of the prophets uh, are speaking about two different things, right? You you either don't love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind because you've turned and gone after other gods, or you're failing to love your brothers and sisters. You're failing to love people. You're failing in many ways. You're withholding a man's wages. You're failing to uh, do justice and love kindness. You're not being merciful. You're, you're simply doing what you can for self-aggrandizement. And so that's what's being condemned most of the time in the prophets is, are those two things. You're not loving and serving God. You're just doing religious stuff and you're not treating one another well. You're certainly not loving one another. And so uh, what I want to show, though, is the difference between what Jesus said and what Hillel said. Hillel, again, says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. What Jesus said is, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And, And that's two ways of saying the same thing, kind of. The big difference in whatever's hateful to you, don't do it to another person, and whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them, is dramatic, actually. 
it calls you to service and to action. It calls you to actually love somebody. Just not doing something is not the same as doing something. Those are two d- very different ideas about how to live. You know, I- I'm going to try and not do any harm is a way of saying the second one. I'm, I'm not going to do anything that would be harmful to you. Jesus calls us to do things that are loving, to extend ourselves. And that's the reason when he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, there's this sort of lavish uh, care that the Samaritan gives to this man who's injured. He, he gives so much of his own stuff and then goes and gives money on his behalf. And, and so we're called not just to not do harm, but to actually do good to others and to go out of our way to do good. And, and I believe that, that if the world lived that way, then, man, this would be a far better place. It, it's Pollyanna-ish um, to believe that, that that would ever happen, that the entire world would do that. But, uh, you know, I guess the thing that I would say is, why don't we start a movement? <laughs> why don't we start a movement that, and that movement just says, I'm actually going to extend myself on behalf of others. I'm going to love people. I know that personally, for instance, um, one of the odd things in my life is, is that, that several years ago, I decided to start telling people that I loved them. It's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing the way people respond to that. If initially, it's kind of a, a frightening thing. It's like, wow, did he just say that? And, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I did it. <clears throat> About... I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, at least, maybe a little longer than that now, and I hate to say that, but it is what it is. I had to call a, a church, or he, maybe they called me. I don't even remember which way it went now. I had to call a church, and, and it happened that the uh, senior pastor there is who I was talking to, and his name happened to be King Cole, um, and he was a super nice guy. I'd never met him, never even talked to him on the phone until that minute. So we're chatting and uh, got ready to go, and he said, I love you, brother. It just, it, it really blindsided me. I didn't expect that. Didn't see that coming. Wasn't the way I grew up. <laughs> I didn't grow up with, with people saying that to me. I didn't have any idea what to do with it when a stranger said it to me. And so I, I was talking to somebody a little while later and uh, who happened to have, they, they were planting a church. King Cole's church was planting a church. And, and I, I got asked to go up and speak to the congregation prior to the arrival of the the guy who was going to be their priest permanently. And, and I told that story to some people and said, you know, I, I just don't know what to make of this guy. I still at that point had never even seen him. And uh, I, I said, you know, I, I felt really convicted because as a brother in Christ, even though I'd never met him, that should be my attitude, right? I should be that thrilled. But, but I guess I had gotten so accustomed to having, you know, a big church around me and all that kind of stuff that it wouldn't any need to, to do that. And so when he said that, it just really knocked me off my feet. And so after that, it kind of became a joke among us, that group of people, that every time I saw them, we would say it to one another and hug one another. And they just appreciated the fact that, that I was um, willing to admit that, that it was awkward for me. And, and then as time went on, I began to practice that, though. I began to think, you know, King was exactly right. That's We ought to tell people that we love them. And so it, it then kind of became one of my things it became sort of who i am is this weird guy who will tell people that he loves them and and i do i tell pretty much anybody that if i if i if i do i mean it's a legitimate thing i don't i don't just say it to random people but but people that i care about i really i do tell them you know and so um at one point when i worked at amazon for a while 
I reached out to a friend of mine after work one day, and, and I said, I just, I said, I just worked, and when I got off, I had six different people tell me that they loved me. How, how's it going with your work? And I was working remotely, right? So I didn't actually get to meet most of these people until much later. He said, holy cow, how did that happen? I said, I don't know. I said, I told them, and now it's the way we end every single work day. And, and it, it transforms things. When you say that to people, when you actually extend yourself in love for people, then it, then it changes things. It changes the way we relate to one another. And I think that's, that it's important that we do that. And so when Jesus calls us and tells us to extend ourselves in this way, then, then it, it, it can absolutely change a culture. Um, and I think in, in the church, we ought to absolutely be that way without any question at all. So that, that's my little sermonette on the golden rule today. And then it goes on beyond that. It is the next little paragraph or two, two verses, actually. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, it's going to fit perfectly well with the, the um, statement that Jesus makes after the rich young ruler has gone away because he's not willing to sell everything he owns, give it to the poor in order to follow Jesus. Because Jesus is telling him that, because the, the, the question is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments, you know, do this, do that. Um, and, and he says, yeah, 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 I've done all that. He says, okay, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. So if he wanted to know, he wanted to know, remember, how to inherit the kingdom. Well, there was three things that he had to do. <laughs> he had to sell everything he owns, give it to the poor, and come and follow Jesus. So what Jesus is saying is, you want, I'm the way, which he does say in John 14. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so here, what he's saying is, enter by the narrow gate. The way is wide, and the way is e- gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And so Jesus later in John 10 will say, I am the gate of the sheepfold. So he is the way and he is also the gate. You've got to pass in through him. And so Jesus offered that man, the rich young ruler, a chance to follow him because following him is the way to the Father. It's the way to inherit eternal life. But the reality is, is that, that ultimately the way to follow Jesus is to take up your cross and follow him. Because it's through the cross that we have access to the Father. We do. We become inheritors via the law of any inheritance, any earthly inheritance, and that is that somebody has to die in order for us to inherit. And so Jesus is the one who died in order that we might be inheritors of the kingdom. Otherwise, we can't have it. That's the way to inherit the kingdom. It's an odd question the guy asks. But it's the right question, and Jesus gives the exactly the right answer to that. And like I said, it's all three things there that he gives him. And why does he give him that particular thing when he didn't call everybody else to that? Although sort of James and John, Peter and Andrew and Matthew all, we, we, we know that they left their professions and came and followed Jesus. So Jesus didn't require everybody else to do it, but he, but he did require them to give up their old way of life, leave everything behind and come and follow him. This guy just happened to have a lot. And, and what Jesus showed him was is that, that that, that he valued his earthly kingdom more than he valued the heavenly kingdom. And, and until you don't, you're not really following him completely. You've still got things in reserve. 
And, and I think that, that that's something we have to reckon with a little bit. We make the call of discipleship so easy in the church in the West that, that all it is is just you got to believe. That's actually the beginning point, not the end point. The beginning point is to believe, and then once you believe, then you begin to seek <laughs> and you begin to hunger and thirst. You begin to that's when you truly begin the journey. Not at the, that's not the end point of the journey. There's more to it than that. We're called to strip away everything else from our lives and see it for what it is, which is far less than important than than comparison with the kingdom. The riches of the kingdom are greater than any riches we might have on earth, and that's the whole point of things. And so when Jesus said, we make the way easy, that's the problem, is that the church has made the way easy, not difficult. And Jesus says the way is hard that leads to the kingdom because it's a renunciation. It's a renunciation of, of, of everything, but not in, as I've said a million times lately, not in a nihilistic way to say that nothing matters. No, it's to say that nothing matters in comparison with that. So I'm going to renounce these things not because I see the surpassing worth of Jesus. So I'm willing to renounce everything else. The guy, when he asked the question about what do I have to do to inherit eternal life, wanted to have both. Jesus says you can't have both. In order to have both you're, is what he says in, in um, Matthew 6. What he says is in order to have both, you've got to, you've got to seek first the kingdom of God. And, and so we make it too easy. <laughs> it's just the honest truth. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had a had a, a very very uh, powerful thing to say about that when he talked about cheap grace. It's the grace we bestow on ourselves. We don't get it from God. We bestow it on ourselves. We just think everything's hunky dory because I believe. I, I said the sinner's prayer one time, and I got baptized. Therefore, I'm ready to go. Jesus never said that. I hate to tell you that, but Jesus never said that at all. And with the rich young ruler, the, afterwards the, he says it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for uh, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. And the, and the disciples are just appalled. Uh, who, who then can enter? Look, we gave up everything to follow you. Um, what are we going to get for that? And he says, yeah, yeah you're going to have the, the kingdom. And, and in this world, you're going to have houses and parents and all that kind of stuff. Um, doesn't mean you'll own them. just means you'll have access to all those things. And that's the way that we live frequently in the kingdom is as brothers and sisters share what they have with us and so you know we got to take a trip at christmas time we went down to the beach and stayed at a wonderful house on the beach with friends whose house it is so um and and that and in that way we have we did it, it was you know we had access to that and and i think that that if we if we began in the church to do two things one is to truly love one another you know let one another know that and let one another know that not just in words but in actions as well, then then it would transform the church. It would begin there. And then if we took very seriously Jesus' call and, and his words about the narrow gate and the hard way, then then we'd give up on easy believism and we and we would we would see true discipleship happen because people would want it. They would understand it at that point and at that level. And and I think that we at some levels we really need to do that. And and I'm not saying that we need to make it unnecessarily difficult. That's not the what I'm saying, but we need to make it no less easy than Jesus made it. And he's calling us to love one another and live a life characterized by loving one another and also to understand that we have to forsake everything in order to follow him, not as an, an act of denial, but, an, but as, a, as an act of love and an act of recognition of the value of the kingdom and what Jesus offers us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.